0: Water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street. It doesn't matter. It
1: back to the Clemson Podcast. Clemson Tigers are 9-1 in men's basketball and the top team in the ACC. Clemson football is, what, 10-2? And, and life is okay. Welcome back, everyone. This is our Sugar Bowl recap episode and funeral. And uh, this is your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben and Cody. Fellas, that one hurt. Yeah, that one hurt like one
2: hasn't in quite some time. Um, I think you probably have to go back i mean i know this is easy to say but back to the 2013 fsu game and then obviously the west virginia game in the orange bowl prior to that just for the fact of how embarrassing the losses were um and and being on a national stage <clears throat> too and then all the the talk leading up to the game you know including us of how we thought clemson was going to dominate ohio state Dabo obviously getting out there and uh, putting his foot in the mouth in and, and, and hindsight, especially without the team being able to back it up and match the intensity level of Ohio State. So it was a super disappointing game. Um, you know, last year, had we lost to Ohio State, I think we would have all, you know, come back on in here and be like, man, we lost to a, to a really great team who played tough, the Tigers played tough, and, uh, you know, we, we lost a close game. This year, we, we still lost to a really good football team, and they certainly deserved to win, and there's no one thing that could have changed in this game. They put Clemson over the top. I think Clemson or Ohio State dominate us in all facets of the game, uh, but it stings with the way that the performance that we saw um, that we weren't really competitive at all in this game. Um, so I think that's the most one of the most frustrating parts.
0: Yeah, it, you mentioned it was like the 2013 FSU game or even the 2011 West Virginia game, and I think the the common theme between those games isn't. We were a much better team. We're a bunch of better team now, but we just we did not bring our A game, and by and it, like far from it. Major letdown on a on a on a big stage, and we haven't done that in so long. Like we, you could call L, the LSU game last year. We didn't bring our best game, but I I think we just got bested by a good team, by a better team. And then same for 2017 when we lost to Bama. I mean we they 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 did us over pretty good, but they were a better team. We just. You know, like Dabo said, I think it was 2013 against FSU. If we played ten times, we would win five of them. And I, you know, yeah, that we was, laughed that, at him. That was yeah, that was crazy. But I mean, I, I don't. I guess I could ask you guys. I don't think we'd win five out of ten from if we played Ohio State based off of what I saw on Saturday. But I think we're pretty evenly matched, despite the, the score. Well, I, what do you I guess the really
1: good points, guys. Like bringing up those two losses. I guess what we'll probably get into in this show is like, is Clemson as good as we thought they were kind of this season and coming in. And I mean, I, the way I look at that West Virginia game, and the way I look at that Florida state game, Florida state, like we thought we were so close in 2013, we started the year beating Georgia, you know, ran the table through that had college game day twice in Clemson, and then just got played off the field by Florida state. And they were, I mean, that is one of the best college football teams of all time. To be honest, the 2018 Sem- or 2013 Seminoles, um, I this did not feel like that type of loss in the sense that we were shown to be like that much further away from like the top of the top of the sport, like the top of college football. This one felt like on the day, you know, probably equally matched, very talented program uh, outplayed Clemson in that game. And I think you guys mentioned it; Clemson did not play that well. Florida or uh, Ohio State made Clemson not play that well. And there was, you know, some other extenuating circumstances in this game that affected, you know, personnel in the field and you know coaches in the booth and all those things. Um, so in that sense, I guess it kind of felt a little bit more like West Virginia, where Clemson was the favorite. You know, West Virginia beat us, but I don't think anyone really felt like they were the better team or the better program in that position. Like, if if anything, maybe the equals of Clemson. That's kind of how I feel about Ohio State too. I feel like they're probably two somewhat equally matched teams. And I guess that's kind of how I felt last year playing those guys. Like at the time, maybe you, a lot of people have argued since then that Ohio State was a better team than Clemson and we just got away with one. But I don't know, guys. There's like a little, I, I view it a little differently than the Florida State game. However, the feeling is the same. We got embarrassed on the yeah, national TV. I,
2: I compare it more to, I agree. I, I think that the talent gap isn't huge between the, the two teams, obviously. And I think if we, played 10 times, Ohio State might win six to four or something like that. I would compare it more to 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 Clemson's blowout victory over Alabama in the um the 2018 national championship game. Um if you're on the Alabama side, right? You know if, if Clemson played that Alabama team ten times that Clemson was not going to win nine, eight, even seven times probably. It's probably or more maybe, like the maybe six, we four, would five. but not
1: by Right, but maybe we would, but not by twenty eight points.
2: Right, Alabama was a much better team than that. Just that day, that moment, Clemson got the better of them. Um, they outplayed them. They outcoached them, um, and that's kind of what happened in this game. Ohio State just flat out outplayed us, and we got outcoached. Um, a lot part of it was scheme, especially on the defensive side of the ball uh, for Clemson, and then on the offensive side of the ball, uh, we that's where I think we got out talented um, more than anything else. Now you could talk about on the defense and the secondary, but definitely on the offense
1: uh, with the poor performance from the offensive line. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to kind of unpack with this game and think through, I think, I think maybe the best way to do this guys is like, there are definitely some things about this game we want to touch on. We're not going to do our normal game recap where we go series by series or break down like the entirety of the offense, entirety of the defense. I do want to ask you guys, like, let's definitely cover up on this game, but obviously the bigger bigger picture for Clemson, the look ahead of the future, kind of where the program is right now, it's just natural to ask those kind of questions when you lose a game like this. And, you know, w- when you do, there's a changing the guard a little bit at the quarterback position, and, you know, the offense is definitely going to look different going forward. The defense, we bring a lot of guys back, but I think, you know, before we get into some of the, like, macro questions about the team, uh, we should – examine this game a little more closely. Uh, maybe to start, like, offensive performance, you know, Trevor Lawrence leading this team, Travis Etienne, both of their presumably their last game in a Clemson uniform. Like, guys, what what's going to be the lasting memory for, for you both out of the offensive performance in this game? Like, 28 points, but really they scored 14 early, and it was – they really just could not get a rhythm could not get much going after that. And what are you really going to remember and take away about uh, this team on offense in this game?
2: For me, it wasn't necessarily just this game. It's more kind of the entire season or at least the second half of the season. And that we really squandered the return of Travis Etienne uh, with just the inability to run block most of the year and the inability to block anybody in this last game. Um, he obviously had his highlights in, in a, you know, some running plays earlier in the season and his receiving out of the backfield was greatly improved this year and a huge weapon for us. But, you know, in, in two big games for him to have, you know, under 40 yards rushing, it's just pretty abysmal with, with a guy that that's talented. And then probably the other thing, is is trevor and just and I, I think this is part of what hurts a little bit too imagine had trevor won the national championship this year not his first season you know we'd be much less disappointed kind of with the outcome of his three years at the school um but because that one happened uh, when he was a freshman so early in his career and the way in which we dominated alabama in that game you just looked at this team and you're like man he's definitely going to win one, if not two more national championships. And then Travis Etienne comes back this year and you're like, Oh man, nobody's going to be able to stop this offense. And yes, lesser opponents couldn't stop this offense, but when you play with the big boys uh, you get exposed and we got exposed in, um, in this game, certainly. Um, And with a lot of our, our our rushing um, attack this year and, or the inability to do so. So, For me, it's disappointing because you see those two great talents who are going to move on and have, uh, you know, hopefully really great NFL careers. It was just kind of a sad ending for them, uh, seeing them going off. And this is, of course, all assuming that they will most certainly not be back next year. I don't think any of us are even entertaining uh, that thought. And my advice to both of them would be don't even think about it. Go. Go make your money.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you, Ben. I I feel a little bit – I don't. hate to say squandering the talent of Travis Etienne, but it's just that. I watched Najee Najee Harris play for Alabama in that offensive line. And, you know, is he as good as Najee? Is he a little better? Is he a little worse? I don't know. But I know if he's playing against – or playing – if he's running behind that offensive line of Alabama, he's going to be a Heisman candidate. Like, hands down, no question. And he didn't get that opportunity – this year. And I kind of feel the same about Trevor Lawrence. I feel like in order for this offense to go, especially at least when you're playing elite competition, Trevor had to run. And I I'm telling you guys in five years, when Trevor's just going crazy on NFL defenses, we're going to be like, when that guy was in Clemson or was at Clemson, he had to run in order to generate offense because he couldn't do it solely with his arm. And like, it, that just, I just, I think that'll be mind boggling. Um, and We're going to talk about why that is in this episode, but um, last year, I thought Trevor Lawrence. I don't want to say he didn't reach his potential because that Ohio State game was amazing. Um, that made him an all-timer, and that, that cemented him as an all-timer in my book. Um, the LSU game, he didn't he didn't bring his A game, uh, and he got he got busted. But I, I think this year, in almost every game he played, he was superb. And, I, and again, this game was one. I don't think there's nothing he could have done. It wasn't it wasn't on him. He wasn't his best. It wasn't his best self. But I don't I don't put that at all on Trevor, and yeah. it's kind of disappointing. Well, he was yeah, constantly
2: pressured in this game too. I mean, yeah, that's know. my
1: lasting takeaway, Ben, is how much pressure he faced, and like obviously later in the game with the fumbles and you know what ultimately led to a pick. That that's the lasting image for me of this offense and this performance. Unfortunately, is the like all year we talked about, we knew the woes of this offensive line was in run protection and blocking for Travis Etienne, and but what we said was it's fine. They're like they're solid and pass pro. They're gonna keep Trevor Lawrence upright when you got him in the game, throwing the ball. He can pick defenses apart. It's gonna be fine. Like in this one, I'm sure that Ohio State's uh defensive coaches found tendencies and exploited those. Like all bets were off. Like he was on his heels the whole night.
2: Yeah, and it was something that you know Dabo and the coaching staff had mentioned all year. Um, they've been bullish on the offensive line and said they've been doing a good job, even with the struggles in the run game. Um, And, you know, a lot of the excuses have been, well, teams are really keen on Travis, uh, but they've done really, really great job in pass protection. We bought into that because for the most part, they were doing a good job in pass protection and they just fell apart in this game. And, And there was, and the amazing thing is is Trevor still threw for 400 yards um, and you look at the stats, I mean, on offense, you know, Trevor passed for more yards than Justin Fields. Uh, Cornell Powell was the leading wide receiver in the game for both teams. Um, and we still weren't even close in this one. So it, it really, it, it comes down to a lot of fundamental issues and the talent that we had out there on the field and a lot of positions. We're just right there or above Ohio State and a lot of the positions on the field as far as talent is concerned. Across the offensive line, we're not even close, um, and I mean we're kind of a middle of the pack in the ACC as far as offensive line talent and performance goes. And shit, that ain't
1: gonna cut it, right? And it's it, been it's been a common refrain for a really long time, guys. I'm like, look, is any college football team their fan base really ever satisfied with offensive line performance? Like, it feels like a very Alabama is. Uh,
0: yeah, there's three teams that are, and they're all in the playoff.
1: <laughs> yeah, or and Georgia, who who isn't. You know, they've been once. True. Um, but, yeah, no, it, like, it's a common gripe and complaint for a lot of fans, but particularly at Clemson, I
0: feel like. Right, and, and you don't really know what you have, um, like we, kind of what you're alluding to, Ben. You don't really know until you play against elite competition, and we just kind of go by the odds. The last five years we've gone against elite competition, we've shown up, and our, our offensive line has been – sufficient it hasn't been a a a plus for us but it's not a it's not a negative but i mean i think what we saw uh what we saw on saturday was that i mean yeah they're definitely it's a bit of a deficit well let me ask you
1: guys so the other thing though i what let's talk about why like it's the same kind of personnel gap that it's been what what other variable was different in this game tony elliott wasn't coaching and he's talked this year about he's been able to scheme around this offensive line. And I think they followed probably a game script that Tony Elliott was laying out for the first couple series, two, three series of this game. What were those results? 14 points probably should have been 21. If Trevor can connect with Davis Allen after that, and look like Brandon Streeter was put into a little bit of an impossible situation here. Um, It's one thing to be the offensive coordinator at Richmond and other schools. Um, It's another thing to go up against Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, right?
2: I still have a hard time buying that one. Like, Dabo's in on the play calling, too. He knows the game plan. Streeter has been offensive coordinator two places before. He's been at Clemson uh, for, what, a couple, two, three years now, um, at least. And I, I, I just, I don't think you can yeah, okay, you can say Tony Elliott has been able to scheme around the weaknesses of the offensive line, but Ohio State exposed those weaknesses more than any other team has this year. So I'm, I don't personally think that having to, uh, Tony Elliott in the booth for this game would have made much of a difference because um, unless he can call plays that makes the offensive line just fundamentally block better – then it wasn't going to do us any good. I mean, Trevor just had, you know, he he was pressured so much. He just had no time and obviously there was nowhere for ETN to run. Um, And those guys were just getting beat and it's not, you know, it wasn't, you know, necessarily the Cade Stewart's either. It was like Jackson Carmen has been kind of a big disappointment this year and has not lived up to his five-star billing. In my opinion, I think he's certainly come back next year, not into the, uh, the NFL draft. I know Jordan McFadden got some good grades from whatever sites are out there in this game, but he got beat several times. Cade Stewart has been, uh, you know, a passable center. He's not great by any stretch of the imagination. And one guy that's really disappointed me too is Matt Bockhorst. I thought he was going to play a lot better this year just from what we knew about him, his mean streak, and just having that attitude you want out of offensive linemen. But he hasn't played great either. So I think just across the board, these guys, just the, the talent wasn't there, um, or they just didn't gel, or it just – it wasn't right. And you saw that in several games this year, and I think the um, – Again, I don't think it was just guys keying in on ETN. This is his fourth year in the program. You think people wouldn't have figured that out sooner when he was having success?
0: No, I agree. I think it's, I mean, the offensive line just, I don't think it was a matter of gelling. Uh, It it could have been that too, but I think primarily it was a matter of, it's a matter of talent. And you mentioned like, yeah, and some of the talent that's there, including Jackson Carmen and Matt Bockhorst, who were both, high profile recruits. I don't think they had quite as good of a year as they should have. And, and last year, by the way, both of those guys did have a good year. Maybe we chalk it up to the, the, the coronavirus, the pandemic. I I don't know. Um, if, if Carmen comes back for a senior year, I think he'll be better. Uh, but you mentioned the two, two other guys on the interior, uh, like Will Putnam is, he's just young. I think, I think he would have been a good guy to put in as a rotational player this year. Normally that's the progression for offensive linemen. He's in his second year, needs to gain some weight, and but you know there's no one else in front of him, so he's a starter. Uh, Cade Stewart is again, that's that's the guy you want as your as your backup. Nothing against Cade Stewart because he was a I think a two star, and he made his way to as a as a starter. So kudos to him. Uh, It's just a a matter of talent and size and those those again I said it like a few weeks ago. It's like those guys don't exist on our depth chart, so you can't expect it to get better. And guys, like oh go ahead, Cody. No, that's all I got.
1: Yeah, I was I was just gonna say like what we also want to do as we bring up the factors of this game, like we w- I'd like to explore, like is this something we're worried about long-term with this program? And we can maybe unpack all that, put it together in more a little bit of a forward look ahead toward the end of the episode. But I think the good news here is the coaching staff seems to have addressed the offensive line in terms of their takes, number of guys that they put into the 2020 signing class 2021. And then also on the 2022, uh, you know, sort of horizon. So it does seem like help is coming at least in terms of numbers and at least in terms of star ratings, obviously then you have to develop these guys and establish chemistry and bring them up through the system. And it's also not something like, even though we are bringing the talent in O-line is something where it does take a couple of years for guys to really progress and, you know, land, land on the football field. So um Yeah, we're we're gonna ultimately, eventually preview this coming season and who's gonna be on the depth chart. But you know, midterm, longer term, like this is a position group that I feel like we're feeling pretty good about, right? Uh,
2: Moving forward, absolutely. We've recruited great in the 2019 class, 2020 class um, is is great. The 2021 class is off to a really good start. I think the key issue is is you start you you really take a look back to the. to the 2008, starting the 2017 class, where you had, you know, a guy like Blake Vinson, who sh- should have had an impact this year, but battled injury and just never really saw the field at all. And Noah DeHond, um, is he even still in the team? Um, or did no, he's he no leave? longer. Yeah, he, he, he never panned out. And you only took three offensive linemen that year, Bockhorst being the 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 one that's actually played this year. And then you only took two in 2018 in Jackson Carmen and Jordan McFadden. So there was a long recruiting those years, and it 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 played out on the field this year. um We were we were thin on the offensive line, and we knew going in that we were going to have a bunch of young guys backing up, and we had to lean heavily on these starters. And at the end of the day, yeah, they were experienced, but they just you know it wasn't a great unit.
0: Right, I, I complained a lot around that time, two thousand and like that was not a good time to be a complaining Clemson fan around like 2016 to 2018, because everyone's like, ah, we're, we're fine. Cause the offensive line at that time was, was actually pretty decent, but yeah. I mean, it left us, it it wasn't a thing of necessarily, at least in the 2018 class, like you said, Ben with Jackson Carmen and Jordan McFadden that that, those are two guys, those are two hits. Right. But only taking two. Exactly. So that's the thing you have to, it's, it, it kind of conflicts with Dabo's strategy of, you know, managing the numbers only offering scholarships to, for the, for the spots you have available, which is all admirable. Um, It's just the, the bus rates on offensive linemen are much higher than other positions. So you have to account for that. And it doesn't seem like they were accounting for that and they, and they weren't taking any oversigns um, for that reason during those two classes. I mean, I, I think when they had two takes in 2018, they should have had actually four. And the year before that, they should have had th- uh, four or five when they only had three.
2: Yeah, and especially you mentioned it, Cody. I mean, offensive line is one of the areas where they're generally more bust than any, any other position group. Uh, guys not panning out, it's just it's really hard to predict that, just the what's required of being an offensive lineman at the, about all phases of the game, the physicality, the technique, the understanding of the system. And you see a lot of guys drop off. You know, four, four or five-star guys can, can drop off. Um, so you really do need to have a wealth, a depth, um, at those positions. And when you're taking two a year, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. And again, it, it, it showed up this year, but, um, the good news is for Clemson fans is that moving forward, uh, we look to be in really good shape, which is a good thing because after seeing ETN's struggles this year, because of poor offensive line play, I worry about recruiting big name running backs. You know, I'd rather go to Georgia or Alabama. I'm watching those offensive lines.
0: Well, and I mean, that hasn't been – luckily that hasn't been an issue uh, with running back rec- recruits, but I, I will say help is on the way. You guys mentioned that. Um, I don't know if it's going to be ready next year. We're not going to preview next season in this pod, but I, I don't know. I think we have some talent that will be young next year um, because the last um, recruiting class, the guys that are, are freshmen right now, um, there's, there's a lot of them and they're all talented. And then the guys coming in that will be true freshmen – our uh, talent as well. We picked up Trist, uh, Tristan Lay, who was a five star. Uh, so that was a big pickup, but you can't ever really count on freshmen, at least not true freshmen.
1: Guys, I want to maybe have some last few thoughts on the offense here. Um, also, I, I just feel like the ceiling on this 2020 Clemson team was always sort of capped by the fact that we would be without Justin Ross throughout this year. It was really nice this year to see the emergence of Cornell Powell and EJ Williams, uh, both guys that, you know, continue to cement Clemson as one of the top wide receiver uh, college football programs out there. Uh, But ultimately, uh, and again, like Ben, you mentioned no one factor was going to win this game for Clemson. Like if somehow Justin Ross had gotten medically cleared to play this game, we're not winning this game just on the merits of having Justin Ross as a wide out option for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, But I do think having him throughout the season And, you know, if you, if you would have had him, like he's the kind of player that can change the, what the defense has to do to prepare uh, and and the schemes that they throw at us. And, you know, once, once it was sort of established that Trevor wasn't going to have, I don't know, they were just kind of pinning their ears back. Right. And he, he wasn't going to have the time to find his receivers, regardless of who was out there.
2: Yeah, no, I think not having Justin Ross had anything to do with it. Um, And it's funny. Uh, I mean, if you looked at one position group on this team that we'd be super worried about at the beginning of the year, if, you know, knowing Justin Ross was not going to play. Um, and then Ingata having his struggles and barely playing at all, Latson injury struggles, um, was, was very seldom used there during the middle part and towards the end of the year. You'd have been freaked out about our wide, wide receiver position. But man, Amari Rogers, you know, we knew what he was capable of, and he showed that this year. Cornell Powell, man, what a sight for sore eyes. He's my, uh, my new Clemson wide receiver man crush. Sorry, uh, Hunter. Uh, but just so incredibly proud of that kid and so happy for him after sitting behind all those stud wide receivers, all those years, he was amazing this year and he just kept getting better as the season went on. He had an incredible game um, in this sugar bowl. Um, but uh, you know, you would have thought that would have been the position group that was doomed us, but it's not, you could have thrown Justin Ross out there and, and got it at his, his highest level in Latson. and if Trevor Lawrence didn't have time to get them the ball. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have mattered again. I think, I think it squarely comes down to the offensive line and that was the factor all year long.
1: Um, Benny, you sort of questioned, and I think you were making this point, with regards to the offensive line, like my comments about Tony Elliott being missed. Um, Do you think though, like he, I I maintain that he would have been able to make some adjustments down the line to uh, write the ship on this offense, like more than we did see. Like, I, I feel like we would have gotten more out of the offense throughout the course of this game had he been able to coach and call signals. Sure. Um, You're right. Dabo had the play sheet. He was, you know, in the mic with Trevor and with uh, Brandon Streeter, certainly, uh, but I, I don't know. I, for me, the value of Tony Elliott was revealed in this game. Yeah. And yeah. That's it. I,
2: yes. There was nothing Tony Elliott could have done really to make the guys block better, but yes. I mean, we, we pay him what we pay him for a reason. And it is not, it, it's disrespecting him and not giving him enough credit. If, if we were to say that not having him in this game didn't have any effect at all, because I think it did, but what, maybe that leads to one more score. We still have to play defense. Um, so again, you know, there's all these different factors that go into this game and there's not any one of them that costs us this game. It was a culmination of a lot of things. Um, some has, you know, some of it has to do with recruiting gaps, gaps on both sides of the ball, um, talent level on both sides of the ball. Um, we got out coached mentioned that and Ohio state was a lot better team than we thought they were.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's certainly true. And especially on defense, I feel like like doing the preview um, with Chris from Clemson Paws, really great to catch up with Chris. We thank him for coming on the show. Like, I don't know, like we dismissed a lot about Ohio State and we said they were well positioned to defend the run. That wasn't anything different than we'd seen previously this season. Uh, But I think we disrespected a bit their ability to generate a pass rush organically. And to disrupt throwing lanes in their secondary, and I don't think their secondary played lights out in this game, but um, they're look like they're a really talented squad. And yeah, they they hadn't really shown it throughout the year, but it, you know, is it possible, guys? We talk about Clemson's coaches kind of pulling stuff back uh, to protect it for the playoffs and postseason. I feel like Ohio State did that, probably more so on the offensive side, but um, they certainly put it all together in this one, and you felt. You know, some of their playmakers on defense definitely have awesome games.
2: Well, they only had to survive six games um, without showing anything. Um, But again, that's another one of those factors that I don't think you can point to. That is the reason. Yes, you're going to have an advantage uh, with less wear and tear on your body and being fresh, playing half the games than your opponents. But at the same time, I think you're in a disadvantage in that you don't have time to develop players as the year goes along and really kind of get into your offensive system and or defensive system and scheming, scheming and, and gel and get that continuity. So, yeah, I think it can go both ways with that argument. And again, that's that's I'm not going to blame it on that.
0: Yeah, well, I'll say I'll break the tie in terms of the Tony Elliott thing and say that I, I do think him not being available had an impact on the offense and its continuity Uh, after the initial series, it did seem like they were lacking for the right play. And like, but I do also agree with you, Ben, because it makes me wonder now uh, how much Tony Elliott is mitigating for, you know, a kind of a, a, I wouldn't say a lackluster, but just a mediocre offensive line and how much he's done that uh, in the past where, where, again, it's not like we had a bad offensive line, just not elite. And when you're playing an elite defense, which we played several in the last four years, You do have to mitigate a little bit, but, um, yeah, I don't think I have another point beyond that. Um, I I
1: just think going Cody, are you, are you saying like maybe Tony Elliott is a better coach than he gets credit for and some of the success on offense is coming in spite of an, an offensive line.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I, I've given him a lot of flack because Trevor Lawrence isn't the Heisman favorite and, and Deshaun Watson didn't win a Heisman and they weren't putting up gaudy numbers. And now, I mean, I think there is a part of it to his, about it. It's his conservative approach, but I think there is more to it now that I see uh, what we were missing out in what, like the second quarter on in that game. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing, one, one theme from this year though, taking it back high level is that like, who, what are you? It's hard to figure out what your team is this season it was real and we still don't know what Ohio State is. We don't know if they're going to beat Ob- going to go on to beat Bama, but we didn't know after what our offensive line was until we thought we knew from playing Notre Dame twice, but we didn't know until we played Ohio State. Right,
2: and and even then, like it was a completely different performance by the offensive line in the first Notre Dame game than it was in the second time around. Right, so I mean, it's a great point, yeah, but again. We didn't know until we played a league competition. You can get by with that in the ACC and credit the Tony Elliott for being able to scheme around that weakness. And yes, I think it would have had an effect in this game, just not one that would allow us to overcome um, the massive deficiencies that we had just as a football team. In this yeah, and
1: primarily on defense. And we'll pivot over to that side here shortly, Ben. I will say I think the complexion of this game changes if Trevor Lawrence hits that home run ball uh, to Davis Allen early on in the first quarter. Then you go up 21 – was it 21-7 at that point, or would it have been 21-0? In any event, I think then you introduce some more of the psychological aspect of football where Ohio State comes in – like similar to last year, we absorbed one of their best punches. They went up with a 16-0 lead but they weren't cashing it in, in the end zone. They had one touchdown and what, like three field goals. If Clemson comes in and just boom, 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 three touchdowns, what does that do between the ears for Justin fields? What does that even do to the confidence level and the resolve of a Ryan day and play calling? Do they abandon some of their approach that turned out to be so effective later in that game? Uh, I agree with you. I don't think, you know, Tony Elliott is a complete difference maker for the outcome of this game, but I don't know. Like games do have there's an ebb and flow to these football games. And if Clemson does come down and score three touchdowns to start, um, you might see Ohio State take a different tact with their play calling. And that really opened things up in the second quarter. Yeah, I just don't think you can play the the what if game. Um, that's what we do, Ben. We got a long offseason.
2: Yeah, I know, but but in the sense that you know, that that would have completely changed their mindset and they would have played differently. I mean, we got off to a hot start against, um, you know, LSU at last year as well. What were you we up, 17 to seven? Um, and they just stuck with it. We were down 14 to nothing to Alabama in the 2016 national championship game. And at that point, you know, I was out in the RV parking lot and being like, whew, thank God I didn't pay for a ticket uh, sure. at two thousand, three thousand dollars a pop. But as it turns out, you know, so I, I think really good teams and well coached teams, um, it, 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 you know, you can weather those storms of those first couple of scripted drives and, and you have that mentality of knowing that and then come back and still put together a really good ta- game and ultimately take over. The score in the first quarter does not often matter unless you're up 35 to
1: nothing over whoever the hell we were beating 35 to nothing after the first quarter of this year. Yeah, and I think the big thing is not Clemson not putting up that. You know, 21 points, it's allowing Ohio State to come right down and score 14 of their own. And um, maybe that's as good a time as any here to pivot us over to the defense. So, guys, I think this is actually the aspect of this game that was the most shocking for Clemson fans. Uh, coming in, you looked at the struggles of Ohio State's offense against Northwestern, really throughout the season, like Penn State, Indiana. Uh, They certainly scored points, but we're not doing so in dominant fashion. And Justin Fields, he was a Heisman finalist a year ago, did not show any flashes of that this year. And I think this is the reason Clemson was favored by seven plus. I think this is a reason a lot of people were really saying it was more likely that Clemson would blow them out than it would be that Ohio State would win. I I know that was my own mentality. And what was really shocking about this one is not that Ohio State had a good offensive game it's that Clemson seemed to have for, for Clemson standards, a really like confused and convoluted defensive game and not, you can kind of talk about like not getting their alignment set. Uh, The timing seemed to be off throughout the game. Guys weren't really in the right position and you just had, you know, Trey Sermon running all over the field without me really making cuts. And I do think that their O-line was opening up the right type of holes for that type of performance against our D-line Uh, But that being said, like it just it was the first game in a really long time that I felt like the defense was out of sorts and not not really playing to their own identity. And um, I guess you have to credit Ohio State for kind of forcing that on Clemson.
2: I think that was the most obvious thing. Um, You could see it from the get go that the Clemson defense was scrambling around uh, right as the ball was being snapped from the very beginning of the game. And credit to Ryan Day and his coaching staff for scheming that up and going. Um, with that approach, you know, the talk about Venable stealing signs uh, leading up to the game um, probably was a little bit of a reference to that and foreshadowing, um, you know, things to come. But I, I think that's part of where we got out coached in this game. And Tiger Illustrated uh, had a really good article discussing it. it wasn't so much that Ohio State played with tempo because they actually bled the play clock, um, it was more about when they set their offense and finally landed in their formation. Uh, that did not give Venables enough time to adjust to that. And so you can do it with up-tempo. You can also do it with slowing down the tempo. And other teams have done this to us in the past. Syracuse did that to us what, back in the 2017 game. Um, and there was a game earlier this year where
1: somebody gave us fits. Maybe it was BC. Um, Virginia Tech started the game with real slow tempo as well. Um, well, no, yeah, I'm not talking just, about the slow I- tempo,
2: but I'm like – I think BC so – one of the teams maybe went a little bit faster – and didn't allow the defense to get set early on in the game. Venables overcame that as the game went on. But, yeah, that was a big part of the problem. And we, we can talk about this. Um, when that really becomes a factor is when you don't have the, the talent level on the defense like we've had in years past, guys like AS, Isaiah Simmons, who can be uh, very multiple, right? You can have him out there no matter what the formation is. Um, and veterans on the defense. Remember, this is a really young defense. And so when guys are scrambling around there at the last minute, then that's, it's just not good. And it didn't fit well with the personnel that we had on the team this year.
0: Agreed. It was the perfect storm of lack of experience, uh, a suspension, uh, another suspension that happened during the game uh, of your two most heady, most veteran players on the back seven Uh, talking about Skowski and Nolan Turner. Um, Yeah. I didn't read the article, but Tiger illustrated, but yeah, that that seems about right. And it was a lot of, it didn't seem like up tempo as much as just um, keeping Clemson's timing off a little. And, and, and yeah, it's not even a thing of talent. I mean, we could talk kind of go into a little bit of the the position groups and whatnot. It, It, the defensive line is not under talented to me in the, in the top, four and maybe top five it's it's when you get into backups and we had to get into backups because there were so much there was uh, so many plays that Ohio State was running it, the the drop-off was just so clear and so evident especially along the interior um but you couple that with not having a pass rush I mean we don't have a, a stud defensive end Miles Murphy is is he's gonna be that guy next year but I don't think he's quite there this year and you know again XT is not playing another another factor. We foster too. Well, yeah. Well, so, and that's like where it comes Cody. to. Well,
2: real quick, I'll respond to that point. That's where it comes down to the experience, right? You can have all the talent in the world, but a guy like Brian Perseille, um super talented, is going to be a phenomenal defensive tackle for us, is going to play in the NFL. Um, doesn't have his technique completely down yet, right? That's going to come with time. And that, talent level is only going to take you so far when you're an experience, when you come up against more veteran and and teams that are just as talented, if not more than you are. Um, And we saw that play out in this game. And yes, the guys were missing. Like it's like, I don't know what's up with, with XT. um, But you know, it was obviously a luxury to be able to get him back and actually see him playing this year. I know we thought maybe if they didn't um, lift the red shirt, rule this year or grant everybody a year of eligibility that he was only going to play like the last four games or something, but he's played a good bit this year and for whatever's going on with him and why he missed this game. um, That's disappointing because at this point, his third year, uh, you know, in the, in the program, he should be one of our leaders on that defensive line. Talk about five stars or talk about guys. Maybe we missed on in recruiting Uh, that same year that we only had, you know, the two uh, uh, offensive uh, linemen. Uh, that was the same year that we recruited XT, KJ, Henry, and Justin Maskell. XT wasn't in this game has been a bit of a disappointment this year, working his way back at least lately with kind of whatever's been going on with him. And then Henry just, he may not develop into that five-star product that we thought he was going to be. He still has time. You know, we've seen guys take a few years. Um, And then Justin Maskell in this game, he's, he's been a little step slow um, all year long and you shouldn't be relying on him so much. Like there's other guys that that we should be hoping to rely on and put in there. Yes. Justin Foster, um, not being able to play this year hurt, uh, Logan Rudolph leaving early was a surprise to to everybody and and Venables, especially in in that hurt, but you've got to be able to, uh, to overcome these things, um, to a certain extent. And, um, unfortunately it was just too much attrition. Um, on those particular uh, uh, positions that hurt us along the defensive line this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the two, well, I guess there are three position groups in particular where depth, lack of death, lack of high end talent or lack of any type of bodies of experience uh, led to this result and actually led to the result last year against LSU. And the big ones are, you, you guys have talked a little bit here about edge rushing Uh, Defensive tackle as well, and safety, the safety position. And um, I think, again, like Brent Venables can also paper over a little bit, you know, some of the like, you know, depth of talent or depth of experience uh, kind of things against ACC competition and even like really good, really solid programs like Notre Dame. But once you get into the 80% plus blue chip ratio teams like Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia you know, those things start to get exposed a little bit. And honestly, guys, like in seasons past, you know, 2018, well, I guess 18 was still the era of the power Rangers. um, And you had, you know, solid guys like Muse and Kayvon Wallace at the safety position, but um, really the last two years, I think we've had injury issues, uh, really take uh, injuries or COVID or, you know, who knows what's going on with XT, but um, reasons to take guys off the football field and, there just has not been, then you've got freshmen playing. Like the question should be, why, where are the backup juniors, and the backup seniors and the backup sophomores here? And I think that's when you, your eye gets drawn a little bit to recruiting classes from 2017 on um, Cody, when we were kind of talking about this and like, you know, having group therapy over the weekend um, since that game Friday, you, you pointed out that Clemson had, hadn't taken us. Like we took a bunch of safeties in the 2019 class Uh, but it really had really been since 2016 that Clemson had taken any safeties. So that's two recruiting classes with no safeties.
0: Yeah. I, I I could, I knew we didn't, there was a period there where we didn't take a lot of safeties because we took four last year. Again, that's guys like Joseph Charleston, uh, Phillips, Thornton, and, uh, and Xanders. Xanders. So they're in, like, we talked about it, like kind of like we'll put them along the offensive line they're playing probably, they're probably a little too young. And yeah. You, so I look back and like, like you said, totally 17 and 18, not one single safety and that's mind blowing. And you, and you know, fortunately in 16, that was Isaiah Simmons and Nolan Turner, but it, yeah, you, you just, I mean, it's crazy. I guess what's so surprising about this again, uh, you know, Clemson's picked up their safety recruiting, but it's just how, how you've had so many misses and you haven't had quite the caliber of talent as compared to other position groups. That's what's so surprising to me. Um, Guys like Xavier McKinney, a uh, former, uh, you know, former Alabama NFL player. Now, uh, I think O'Neill from Clemson. Uh, he was another one, or not Clemson from A uh, and M. He was another one we missed on. So we had our fair shares of misses, but uh, it's it's just strange. It, it leaves these gaping holes for years to come when you miss on position groups.
2: Well, and and the think, good, the good think news we, the good news is though bad, is that. We're set up really net well next year across the defensive line. You're going to have Tyler Davis return. You're going to have Brian Brisset and Miles Murphy in year two. You got DeMonte Capehart and Trey Williams, who, who should be really good. Um, Brooke and then and it's a Ruben, Ruben. It's going to be their time to really pick it up if, if they're going to, you know, succeed in this program. And then you should have XT back and KJ Henry. We'll see if you see a transfer or just leaving the program there. And Justin Foster. So it's not like it's doom and gloom and this is the end of the downfall of Clemson. Like, we're good at that position. We're going to be good at that position group because we've recruited well uh, last year and then uh, the year before that and now moving forward. Um, And same thing Cody mentioned with the safeties is that we've got guys. We had a huge recruiting class, whatever, two years ago. um, uh, But those guys are young, right? They're sophomores this year. By the time they get into be juniors and seniors, they're going to be much better. So we were really young across this defense this year. Um, And it it points to the the gaps in recruiting that we talked about, but it doesn't mean that those are going to be deficiencies moving forward. What it does mean is I think just as fans, we need to take a closer look year in, year out. And I know Cody kind of has been harping on this every single year, pointing to the groups that we're not recruiting heavily enough. Uh, We need to look at that to see if we're balanced enough across our position groups and filling those holes because – you know, if you recruit like no cornerbacks one year, that's going to project two, three years down the road. And that's what we saw this year in a few key position groups.
1: Well, Ben, like, I guess what you're saying is you hope the coaching staff can kind of learn from some of these things and each year kind of find the guys and make offers and pull in recruits and just keep it balanced. Um, I think there are going to be episodes where they do that and it still doesn't work out. You know, you get a guy like a Josh Belk, highly touted defensive tackle recruit, Um, had some purported family reasons for leaving Clemson flamed out at university of South Carolina. Like there, there are some other guys that had some medical reasons for not playing. Those things are going to just happen. It happens to every, every program out there, what your, what your coaching staff then does, I think, you know, you got to evaluate a lot of the options available to you. And this is the part of the episode where I do want to talk about, the transfer policy that Dabo's had and actually the transfer policy throughout college football. So leading up until this past year, uh, normal transfer rules tended to apply, uh, which actually constrained the amount of guys that were moving out of programs and moving to other programs. Like you generally had guys leaving programs that had, you know, didn't jive with head coaching or like the leadership style. Uh, Maybe there were definitely some legit kind of family circumstances or personal reasons. Uh, But for the most part, there was not really any sort of kind of free agency of college football players that has progressed a lot in the last two, three, four seasons. And now you've got rules, you know, being put into place where everyone gets a one-time transfer. You don't sit out of season type of setup. So I guess what I'm kind of building to Ben, and this is, I'm not the first one to propose this is, you know, if Clemson does find itself in the situation where they are really thin at safety, but they are really thin at defensive tackle. Um, or tight end, let's say, you know, in Mylon Richards last year when Braden Galloway went out. I don't even know if that was Mylon Richards last year. Like we may have had a gap year with nobody at tight end last year. Um, that's That's the exact circumstance where I feel like the coaching staff should be thinking about bringing in a transfer. And there's ways to do that without breaking up, you know, the culture and the vibe of your program. What about guys that you offered when they were high schoolers, you know, eight months previous that went into a bad situation for them? They're not happy at LSU with Eric Gilbert, you know, a tight end. do um, I think about bringing them in?
2: The guy that gets somewhere and realizes he wants to go closer to home for a, a family medical reason or something like that. You know, Demarcus Bowman, um, you know, used uh, something similar to that. I and mean, it was part of his reasoning for, for leaving the school this year. And, yes, I think you absolutely have to consider it. It's the changing landscape of college football. I don't care if David doesn't like it. He's going to have to adapt. Um, if he's going to keep the program at the top because the other schools are going to be doing it listen you can ask Nick Saban to this day he hates the type of offenses that are being successful in college football right now he hates the facts that he has to go with an up-tempo offensive al- at Alabama that's not the type of football that he likes but guess what he wants to win national championships and so he adapted. He likes ranks exactly and so he adapted so whether or not Dabo likes it um, you know that's sorry, that's the way that the sport is is heading and he's going to have to adapt as a coach. I'm not saying he's not going to adapt as a coach. He's adapted several times um, over the years of being the head coach, coach of Clemson for 10 plus years in bringing us two national championships and taking us to four national championship games. Right. Um, yeah. So I think well, that's something like the- that you're, you're going to absolutely, absolutely have to consider this. Maybe you start with, okay, whatever guys transfer out of the program, um, you know, uh, before they're, they're seniors, you fill those spots or you're open to fill those spots with transfers. So you're not necessarily putting guys ahead of other guys who have earned it and, and all that. But, um, yeah, I think if college football is going that way, you're going to have to do it. And everybody will point to the fact that uh, the last two years we got schooled by two transfers, uh, Justin Fields, and he, he
1: kind of schooled us last year too, um, and Joe Burrow. And Jacob Coker was actually a transfer also. I mean, we didn't lose the game to Jacob Coker in 2015 season,
0: but he was a transfer. Yeah. What's, what's interesting to me is I I mentioned to this, uh, to you guys on a text thread that there was a David Hill article on ESPN about how Dabo needs to change. And there was all the, all the off season hoopla and none None of it had a whole lot, of, a ton of merit. Um, things like his, you know, uh, social justice stances, his response to COVID, uh, you know, the the bulletin board material for the the um, and the AP po- poll ranking OSU at eleven. Anyhow, all that had nothing to do with the outcome of of the right. game. And and really, what, what the reason Clemson Lawson is everything we're talking about right now. It's very, it's not as sexy, it's not as interesting, but it's it's things like it's things like recruiting, it's things like evolving. And 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 opening yourself up to the transfer portal, like you're saying, Tully, and yeah, I, I don't see like I, I get a lot of what Dabo does, and I I, I, and I even though it's not the way I would necessarily do it, um, things like you know not taking over sign uh, candidates and recruiting, like I get why he doesn't. I think there's a good reason behind a lot of what he does, a lot of what he does but the not taking transfers, I, I simply, I, I don't get that part that I, I don't know. I just, maybe you guys have a good argument for it. I, I don't get it. It's working for Brad Brownell. Well, yeah, I mean, but I, I definitely see the argument for taking transfers. I don't see a good one. And I, I may, I, I, get, not. I get, I get the meritocracy, but I don't agree that you couldn't still have a meritocracy if you took transfers. I think, I think you could actually add them to brighten your or you know, in in a case where you have a lot of young people, you want to get some upperclassmen that brings a different edge to the culture. Daniel Rodriguez, you know, at least guys like that. Bring a guy in and you don't have to give him any
1: assurance. He's going to play. He's got to earn that spot. Right. And if guys
2: are going to transfer out, then you have to be open to allow guys to transfer in.
1: Yeah. And I guys, I have to believe a spot on the Clemson football roster has to be a very attractive thing for would be transfer candidates Um, so closing yourself off, like the game is changing. There is going to be just a lot more fluidity across the sport, whether Dabo likes it or not, like you're going to have to recruit like among existing players of other teams. And I think that is where, um, Clemson is going to start to have to look at again, like I think you start small, you start one to two, maybe three at max guys per season, just in positions of need. And I forget which season it was. It might have been 2019, maybe 2018. There were some early unexpected departures to the NFL or guys just ending, wrapping up their uh, Clemson tenure. And I want to say we had like, we were like well under kind of the scholarship max. And I know those were eventually awarded to preferred walk ons and just walk ons in general. Um, but that would be just like the perfect moment to, like, if you do have that situation come up, which I imagine Clemson will. Uh, To take those scholarships and go out there and fill a position of need and do that from guys that you recruited as high schoolers.
2: Yeah, because in like 17, we had 14 commits in that class, and 18, we had 17, right? Um, Because it might have been that 17th recruiting class you're talking about. But for instance, let's say Cade Mays reaches out to Devon and be like, hey, you know, I made a mistake. I should have come to you all along. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Well, he's with Tennessee now. He's already transferred once.
1: Let's make so, the tour. So, so tour maybe the maybe, a, maybe a
2: bad example. I mean, he's slowly getting back to Clemson, you know, Georgia, right. moved to an orange team and uh, now to right. the real orange school. Um, obviously I mean, you got, band, obviously or like, the guys have to be the right yeah. character fit and everything yep. for your program and, and, you know, and, you know, fit a niche or a hole, be able to fill a hole that you're, that you need. Um, and not just be like, uh, you know, a five-star guy. Like I'm taking him no matter what, but yeah. I think there's a, there's a route to doing that. And I think it's completely ethical and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Um, now I'm sure could could have used KMAs in that game on, on Friday. Could will just say that five of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys, I mean, a lot has also been written about what Ohio state did schematically uh, does Brent is Brent Fennable shtick sort of running thin. Um, is there any merit to stealing signs and you know, how you, how you stop that. I possibly I, my take is possibly there's some merit to some of that. That being said, I think it goes back to talent and I think it goes back to that. We had inexperienced freshmen and sophomores filling in a lot of holes where, you know, four or five star starters weren't able to go in this one and we weren't able to organically generate a pass rush. And then you put those guys in conflict in the back end. Um, I think that's much more of the case here. And um, same was true against LSU. There were guys out on the defensive tackle position, um, God love him. He's an awesome Clemson uh, starter who we should all cherish the memory of, but AJ, AJ Terrell was uh, outplayed in that game. And unfortunately like that combined with some of the thinness of depth kind of got us against an all-time offense in LSU. So I think like both years you could chalk it more up to personnel and not as much up to scheme. Um, I, I believe Brent Venables can adapt. I mean, the dude studies, he's just such a big student of this game. Um, I, I don't know. Do you guys put any merit in, you know, BV people at cracking the
0: code on Brent Venables' defense? I, I don't think so. I I don't buy into it just for the reasons you mentioned. I think it's a an, an issue of of talent. His defense, it, you know, we've talked about it in the past. In order for it to really be optimal, you need to have guys that can can blow up the line of scrimmage, that can get through their gaps, and ideally, you want to be able to do that with four people, um, and then you can send pressure as needed. We haven't been now for two years running. We haven't been able to, to do that, um, to, to get home with the front four. And it's been increasingly difficult to get home, even when you send pressure in, in some cases. You know, Isaiah Simmons helped a lot with that last year, um, both on uh, to get pressure and on the back end to cover up some, some flaws there. But, yeah, I, I don't buy – I mean, maybe there is a part of it where I, I think I've heard it described as not necessarily um, – knowing the other team's calls that Venables is, is putting in, but not showing your hand on on defense. So maybe that's it. I I just think you got to give uh, t- Davis, Percy, and Murphy one more year to mature, and I think we'll be in good shape.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, think, I think when you have a group of veterans out there on your defense that the offense kind of not showing their hand until the last second right before the ball is stat becomes less of an issue uh, than when you have a bunch of young guys out there. Um, you know, that wasn't, you know, when, when, you have a line full of the power Rangers and Albert Huggins, a guy that played in the NFL as your backup, um, you know, that you can pretty much rely on them. And then just look at Brett Venable's ability to pivot last year to the three, four defense and overcome a lot of weaknesses across that defensive line. And we're just slowly having to, to rebuild for that. And we're young across the defense. Now, I don't want to take away. Um, We should also say that there's some disappointment, I think, in our cornerback position. Um, You know, Darian Kendrick, uh, there's some maturity um, issues, I think, there. Um, And that's been disappointing to see because he's a super talented guy. Andrew Booth on the other side of the ball, he's had flashes this year, but he's also really young and he's going to continue to get better. Um, but yeah, I do think it was more of a talent issue than anything else. And Brent visible has shown it in the past. That's why he ended up at Clemson was his ability to adapt to, uh, the, the evolving offenses in the big 12 and all the multiple different types of offenses, high flying offenses in the big 12, um, his ability and willingness to do so there. And he's shown his willingness and ability to, to do so at Clemson. So, um, they've got you know, they got, they got the best of us and some other teams have gotten the best of us kind of using the, the same technique, but it hasn't become a consistent issue. Um, and you better believe that, that Venables is going to be stewing on this one for, for quite some time. And he's going to come back with a, a more talented and more experienced defense next year. And they're going to play a lot better in a game like this.
1: I, I imagine. I think the big problem was he wasn't wearing the neon yellow hat. He had a white hat wow. and that that's not a recipe for a win guys. No, that, oh, they so, couldn't, they couldn't see him. They couldn't find him on the sidelines. couldn't Maybe find no. him. They didn't know where to look for the signals. That's the problem. That so the at, that I, end, I bet we've gone, man. I don't know how many minutes in we are here. Um, 45 hour, probably like we got to take our hat off. Justin Fields played a hell of a game, super tough, staying in there with probably three broken ribs um, and a, you know, punctured lung and whatever else, like, you know, props <laughs> to him uh herniated disc (laughs) really yeah herniated disc like everything uh wow that hit guys like i i can't believe he got up from that i can't believe he stayed in that game especially after some of the wincing that we saw um i know ryan day wanted to run the score up on Dabo, but do you guys think it was irresponsible to leave fields in that game
0: well yeah it was kind of close uh for a bit so i yeah I mean, I, even though it felt like we were um, getting blown out and we wouldn't come back, I mean, there, you know, crazier things have happened. So I, I, if he could play, like, I think you let him play.
2: Yeah, I think he was, you know, working off of adrenaline at that point and, you know, a shot in his back um, to keep going. But, I mean, I don't want to talk about necessarily focus on irresponsible leaving an end. I just want to um, celebrate and admire fields for being able to come back from that hit that was a gritty performance i felt bad for the kid when he went down because i didn't think he was gonna be able to come back in the game and i hate to see the opposing team lose their best player whether or or any of their players but especially you know their best players because you want to beat the best that they have um and so you want to take their best best punch exactly and And i just don't want to see kids get hurt right and and so for him to be able to do that that was an amazing performance it was so admirable to see that. And he played great. And I have a lot of respect for the kid um, for the performance that he gave um, at the same time. Uh, I think the targeting rule is, is, is bullshit. Um, and kicking kids out of the game and and changing uh, the outcomes of games by doing that. Right. Two of our best players on defense um, affected by that. Now I understand it. I've talked we've talked about it for two years now. If they're egregious hits, sure. Kick him out of the game, but, just it it doesn't make a lot of sense and I still maintain that Justin Fields he didn't purposely turn into that but his act of turning turned him in to a to a helmet hit to the back whereas otherwise it would have been Skalski's shoulder
1: yeah it wouldn't have been a spear if he right. had stayed sort of vertical instead of horizontal or whatever you and, want to call and it and I understand if it's the letter
2: of the law and and I'm not necessarily saying that the referees made the wrong call I'm saying that the law is stupid. Um, and the repercussions from that,
1: uh, well, the, the penalty the, the penalty the for that yeah. The punishment is maybe not it, the fitting it, of the crime. Yeah. If, if Justin Fields would have popped up after that hit, um,
2: and walked off like it was nothing. Would you have seen the same call? Um, and, and what about the one where the guy clearly, you know, went helmet to helmet with ETN out in the open field?
1: How the hell did they miss that one? Right. Yeah, that is valid for sure. Uh, although that was like a special teams guy that doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, I mean, Skowski, like he he owned up to it on Twitter kind of the day after the game. I saw that he was shaking hands and chopping it up with fields afterwards. Which was so uh, great to see. Yeah, him. both great. Yeah, yeah both, both great to see. Kind of shows you what kind of kid he is, which is awesome. And look, like fierce competitor. I've got friends that don't follow Clemson that texted me all season to be like, I love that guy. He's my favorite college football player that doesn't play for – whatever school. Um, but yeah, ejections into national ch- or, you know, like playoff playoff games. Um, it is a, it is a huge bummer to see Skalski go out like that. And this may have been his last Clemson game. I think a lot of us Harbor hopes that he would come back and exercise his sixth year, uh, which would be pretty awesome. I don't, I don't know though. He's probably going to his senior bowl, right? I
2: don't think he has much to game gain as far as uh, NFL A prospect is concerned by coming back another year. Uh, I don't see him coming back, Um, and I I feel confident about the linebackers we have, uh, the young the young guys we have behind them.
1: Yeah, the other kind of next year, I did not want
2: to see them playing in this game.
1: Right, that's fair. The other guy I want to you know tip my hat to is Trey Sermon. Um, I don't remember him being that aggressive and and
0: huge at Oklahoma guys. I don't know about you. No, he was never that good. I don't know. He like it looks like he got an extra step, and he turned into Todd Gurley, at least in that game. And, again, probably credit to Ohio State's offensive line and maybe some uh, some less than stellar play on our side too. I think they had
2: Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins suited up in disguise in place of uh, on either side of the ball. That's what it mm-hmm. looked like to me. Could be. No, no, Sermon – yeah, certainly outperformed what we thought he was capable of, and that's with Master Teague not being available for the game.
1: Um, so he really showed, uh, showed out when he had to. Yeah, so I, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit here, Ben. Like Ohio State was worthy of being in the playoff. They outplayed Clemson. They had just as good a talent as Clemson kind of top to bottom on the roster. I think Clemson had an experience advantage in this one and both experience within the year and throughout the course of, of time. Wow. Ohio state just had the right talent at the right position groups. And that was mainly in the trenches. Um, they show that to be true with their offensive line. Um, Clemson, you know, was bothering Justin Fields a little bit, but he was able to withstand that. Um, they obviously got a few hits in on him, but um, for the most part, even after he sustained that shot from Skalski, like, and again, you don't want to do anything with intent to, to harm. I was surprised they weren't stacking the box more like Clemson wasn't stacking the box more knowing it was likely going to be runs to sermon immediately following the injury and trying to get more, just send the house kind of blitz pressures on fields. A um, couple of sacks, he might be out for the game. And I know, again, you don't want to make that a strategy to kind of alter the course of the football game, but probably would have been effective.
2: Well, and part of part of sermon getting loose too, was just really poor tackling um, in the second and third levels of the defense. It was pretty abysmal.
1: Yeah. And guys getting washed out of the play yeah. being in the wrong spot. I mean,
2: I've talked about Kendrick's uh, willingness to tackle is, you know, like similar being similar to Deion Sanders um, and just some other guys in the secondary that just, just they're, again, they're young. They need to put a little bit more weight and muscle on and improve their technique.
1: Um, but yeah, still credit to, to sermon for a, a incredible game. Cool. Well, Uh, Not much more to unpack from this game definitely sucks to see the season go out like that after uh, was a very promising ACC championship game performance against Notre Dame Uh, really long year guys. I can't help but feel exhausted kind of after the sugar bowl and just this whole football season. Uh, We talked throughout the year about how important it was to, you know, cherish every game that we got to see Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne and this team play. Um, these are still the good old days of Clemson football. So um, I'm I do feel like this season was successful for Clemson. Uh, got a significant number of you know highlight plays and career memories from a lot of guys in this team. Saw Clemson defend for the sixth time uh, the ACC title. You know deny Notre Dame. You know got got a really solid revenge performance against them. Um, not how we wanted the season to end, but. Um, What do you guys think will be your top like one to two takeaways from this year in the Clemson era? Uh, Well, we saw the, uh,
2: what DJ is able to do in the two games that he was in there. Um, And so that's a positive looking into next year. Um, I think, you know, you could look at last year's loss to LSU in the national championship game as being a one-off and being like, man, we just ran into one of the best teams in the history of college football. Um, but now when that happens two years in a row um, in the playoffs that you really have to if you're a coaching staff and Davo have to you know, step back and take a look and, and see where you've kind of been left behind in a couple of areas and where you need to adapt to be able to to hang in there now yes, we're not complaining about playoff appearances um, uh, by any stretch of the imagination or you know aren't happy about ACC championships but, we know Dabo's goal is to win every game. And our hope as fans of course, is to win every game. Um, so I I think again, this happening two years in a row, like going out like this, that it's going to cause the coaching staff to, to kind of reshuffle things a little bit. It's not a complete rebuilding by any stretch of the imagination. Like we're going to be perfectly fine. Again, we'll point to the recruiting classes that we have coming in. You got to remember prior to this, prior to, uh, To last year when we had the number two class and now number right now, number four class, according to rivals, we were like the ninth, sixth, 14th class. Right. So the recruiting is actually now just starting to catch up to the success we started having in 2015. Um, So the same way we have to project out with position groups, we're not recruiting heavily enough. um, You know, looking down the road, we can also look at these current recruiting classes we have and project down the road and be like, listen, Clemson isn't going anywhere. We should all expect to be back in the college football playoff next year. Uh, the only hiccup in uh, tough game where we have jo- Georgia to open up. Um, and then I don't know what the ACC schedule is going to look like next year, but at best, our next toughest game is going to be North Carolina, who is really improving as a team, maybe Miami. Um, but the future is still bright. This is not uh, – seeing this two years in a row hurts, but it doesn't mean the, the era of, of Clemson – Uh, being really one of the blue bloods and consistently top, uh, you know, three or four teams in college football is over by any, by any stretch.
0: Yeah. So, so totally your, I guess your question was, uh, what's the main, your major takeaway from this year? And I'll, I'll need some time to digest it. I think we'll probably do the Watsons, our award show at some point, but you know, the obvious, what's very self-evident is coronavirus impacted the season. I, I don't think it was as enter- as entertaining. The season didn't feel as real. I felt the same about Braves baseball. I don't know if you guys feel that. You can't tell me the NBA feels the same. But anyhow, that so if you were going to kind of have a less than amazing year, then this wouldn't be a bad one. Um, but I have to say, and I, again, I don't I don't want to be negative because everything you said, Ben, about the program getting to a new to new heights with recruiting, like you know, hey, we had some lapses in recruiting, um, but those have been addressed. I I. Th- I think this season is the worst, uh, of the, of all the playoff teams. Um, I think, I think, you know, what made it great were two great talents and that's Travis Etienne and and Trevor Lawrence. And that's what I'll remember. But this team was not, to me, it wasn't, it wasn't on, on par with the other, what would that be? Six, five teams, uh, 2017's, uh, you know, you know, it, it might've been a little bit better in 17, but that defense in 17 was amazing. So yeah. No, and no good
2: point with the, with the COVID uh, thing, Cody, you know, and, and thank you and congratulations to all the players and the coaching staff on the team, being able to focus this year, uh, you know, get as many games as as they did and the success that they did have, you know, it was uh, a lot of sacrifice on their part, not being able to see friends and family members as much as they should and being able to stay focused and be as successful as they were on the field this year. Um, You know, we've all had to deal with, Uh, COVID in one way or the other. Um, And it's been just a really tough year for, for everybody. Um, And, you know, college football players uh, certainly being the same. And, you know, as soon as we got baseball back in the summer, it was like, okay, it's starting to get a little distraction, starting to feel a little bit more like normal. And then when college football came back, even though it wasn't the same product, even though, you know, the big 10, uh, started way late in the season and the big 12 and sec i think started or maybe the sec started a little bit later and we didn't get necessarily those marquee matchups that we we're hoping for every weekend it didn't have the same level of excitement weekend and week out in college football we still got college football and that was uh gave you something to look forward to every weekend it gave us something to distract us um from everything else going on in the world you know the covid the elections and all that and it was welcome for me, and I appreciate, uh, you know, it, it, it took the effort of everybody playing college football, all the, all the kids, the coaches, the athletic directors, it took their effort uh, to put a product on the field for us to be able
1: to watch, and I'm appreciative of that. Cool, well, uh, the college football season is not completely over, guys. Um, I remember when we lost to Alabama in the Sugar Bowl um, in the t- 2017 season. I I was kind of down on watching the Bama Georgia national title game. I eventually came around and did watch it um, that day on the broadcast. But uh, where are you guys on this upcoming Alabama Ohio State matchup? Like, presumably Fields is going to be dinged up a little bit. We'll see if the game even happens. There's like a COVID outbreaking happening within the Ohio State team. Um, who knows if that's by design to try to buy them some time to get Fields healthy? Neat little gamesmanship there. I- I'm completely joking but I don't know. Like, do you think this is going to be a, a runaway for Alabama or are some of their defensive deficiencies, you know, something that Ohio state can exploit?
0: I'll, I'll go first. I, I think you know, I was talking earlier. It's, it's really hard to gauge your team. Like what's the, what's your, who are you benchmarking against? And I think people will use, use like the recency bias with Ohio state and their matchup against us. But I I believe Ohio, I believe Alabama is the superior team. I think what we thought going into uh, the game about Ohio State, I think it'll manifest itself against Alabama. They're more they're more complete than us. They might not have Trevor Lawrence, but they they do have the Heisman winner and Najee Harris. I I think it'll be three scores. Yeah, I think had
2: Ohio State beat last year's Clemson team like this, then I think they'd have more of a shot. It's just. We know how hard it is to beat Alabama, when you know when when they're loaded like they are this year. Their defense is not what it usually is, but I don't think it necessarily has to be with that high flying offense. And I still do think that the weakness on Ohio State is uh, their secondary. And given time, Mac Jones will be able to uh, to pick apart that defense. Uh, there's Saban mentioned Jalen Walter may be able to be back for this game. We'll see if he is and if how effective he will be. But you match him up with Devonta Smith, who by the way, won the Heisman trophy and congratulations to him. I think he was deserving of it. I'm not going to add on any sour grapes about Trevor Lawrence not winning. If we're giving Ohio state crap for only playing six games, then we have to equally do so with Trevor for playing uh, three or two less or whatever than Alabama played this year. Um, so yeah, I think Alabama, again, it's just Alabama as good as Clemson has been over this stretch, Alabama is still number one. They are the team to beat pretty much year in and year out. And I think that's going to be hard for Ohio State to do. I think it's going to be – a. I think it could be a close game. And I, I think there's a world where Ohio State could win. And for some reason, I'm pulling for Alabama. I can't remember why. Because um, th- Ryan
0: Day
1: is – he's the worst. Oh uh, Yeah,
2: I'm not a big fan of his. Um,
1: and we recruit against Ohio State more here, than we do Bama. Yeah, I guess, Ben, like my – I'll tell you my philosophy. If it's not us – it ought to be Bama because we're in many ways chasing them. The more teams you, you, you leave the door open for that win Natty's like, it's just gonna, you know, be that much harder to recruit. I think you either want it to be us. You, you want Bama. And I'm not saying root for Bama because then you'd be a South Carolina Gamecock, but, uh, or you get a fluke team like an LSU that kind of reaches up out of nowhere and just grabs one in like a fluke season. Right. Cause Ohio state um, like, isn't
2: going anywhere next year. Like LSU just completely took us. Yeah, for off, sure. Right? So like,
1: if you give Ryan day, like that, if you give him the, and look, they beat us, we're now four and one. So we still have that, you know, lean into the bragging rights, Clemson fans still. But um, yeah. Like if he wins a natty, like all bets are off. Like it, you know, it, it just gets that much harder to recruit against them.
2: That's I, I think that's my reasoning actually now that I think about it. I do kind of think that, you know, if they go on, if ISA goes on to win the national championship, I think it'll be talent on the field um, having a large majority to do with it. Um, I don't think you're necessarily going to out coach Saban, um, but we've seen, you know, they do it against uh, the Clemson football staff, but there is just something about playing half the, t- the games of the other teams and being able to hoist that trophy. It just doesn't seem right. I'm not holding it against the, players and the coaches because I know they wanted to play all along I think it falls squarely on the conference and their mishandling of things but something about it does seem quite unfair that being said they were the better team than Clemson in playing six games uh, only playing six games had nothing to do with that
0: that's that's legit I'll say what they them beating Clemson completely legitimized them to me and, and but it had you know had they lost to Clemson, I, you know, I'd be, I, we could say, yeah, they didn't deserve to be there in the first place, but I, I think they're legit and I'm, I'm okay with them being there. Now I want them to get their ass kicked by Bama. Fair enough. Uh, ben, you, so referenced- you would not even take
2: a close game. You want an ass kicking.
0: Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. It's probably a little bit of sour grapes, too, a little bitterness. It's allowed to, you're allowed to be petty, Cody. Yeah. It's college
1: football built on that. Um, Devontae Smith won the Heisman, not a total shock. Um, I don't know. Clemson fans can have sour grapes over that one too. I feel like uh, Trevor Lawrence had a lot lot harder circumstances to overcome to do what he did this season. Uh, Devontae Smith had a Heisman candidate quarterback thrown in the football, and that offensive line for Bama is something else. Um, Trevor succeeded you know, despite having
2: Trevor, Trevor and Kate up. Mays throwing him to, or, or Kate Stewart throwing him the football.
0: Yeah. We'll talk about this like later, but l- let me just ask you guys, not to take away from the Heisman discussion, which I don't even know if we want to have that, but Deshaun Watson versus Trevor Lawrence. Stay tuned for the Watsons next episode, Ben. I know you could talk yeah. about it for five minutes straight right now, kind of analyzing both of their careers. So don't do that. But what's your – are you asking us, Cody, to give like a one-sentence answer? I, well, I'll just say is the answer obvious to you right now? Who is the better player? I know is what, it, I is know it what, a toss-up or you – don't, you don't have to whatever, – whatever. Say what I you know, want. I know what I feel. I want to
2: reflect on it a little bit more. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Deshaun bringing Clemson the first national championship since 1981, uh, the 1981 season um and just kind of how this year ended up and obviously the loss last year but um i I think that's a disservice to trevor and everything he accomplished with this program um and again it has a lot to do with the guys around you but i'll say as far as the heisman is concerned i didn't even realize it was tonight um, until after uh, the winner was already announced so that lets you know how much i care about the heisman like the playoff loss bothers me more than trevor not winning the heisman at this point like the heisman actually got it right this year they didn't pick a quarterback for the sake of picking a quarterback um and so i was glad to see at least a non-quarterback one if trevor wasn't going to win it and you know what we still got dj you know he's going to have an opportunity to do the thing the same thing and honestly if he leaves um if he plays two years uh two more years and leaves with one national championship no heismans i'm going to be happier than if he won no natties and one heisman
1: cody i think um one comment I'll, i'll i need to reflect on it too I think Trevor Lawrence made his brilliance look easy, and we took that for granted early on. And you almost, you almost like didn't and couldn't appreciate how great he was, um, just because you just expected it. And um, yes, the circumstances around the offense and the broader team, maybe he didn't have his. And let's be frank, the schedule. I think Deshaun Watson played better teams throughout the course of the games that he had. So he was put into positions to have more college game day appearances and more primetime games against good opponents. So for me, it's kind of like, how often was Trevor thrown into the fire? I think Deshaun was thrown in a little bit more. I think we're always going to be biased by the fact that Trevor won one early and never did again. And then Deshaun won one on his way out and like vanquished Bama.
2: And Deshaun probably had the most memorable and best performance by a Clemson quarterback of all time.
0: Yeah, he he gets credit for obviously he gets credit for 2015 in the in the loss just the same way that Trevor Lawrence gets credit for the the semifinal last year against I state all I'll say is the trajectory of Trevor's career it seemed obvious that he would be the number the best player in Clemson history and I don't think even though he had a great year I just I think now it's a real discussion and I'll say it's 1A 1B right now and then we can we can all reflect on it and give give our pick in the next episode. Well, the good thing
2: is that um, should Trevor end up with Jacksonville, that's the same division as the Houston Texans. So we'll get to see them play at least twice a year.
0: Head to head. Well, we won't, but people in Jacksonville and Houston will. Cody, there's this thing called television.
1: Pictures, sound, moving across the screen.
0: Never heard of it, man. It's
1: pretty cool. Um, all right on transistor radio (laughs) so net net guys this one sucked but it sounds like you know it's not time for the sky's not falling it's not time to panic as clemson fans the run is not over um yes we've we've identified probably some reasons this happened we think it's comes down a little bit more to talent than it does to coaching motivation and scheme and Really, anything else. And for the most part, you know, we feel pretty good about the trajectory of the talent acquisition. We'd like to see a little bit of flexibility and kind of open-mindedness thinking about the transfer portal, uh, for positions of need and, you know, not necessarily letting some of our good recruiting advantage go away. Um, if we're losing out in the, in the transfer portal battle too, but, um, I don't know. I, I kind of come away from a tough situation, feeling good and optimistic about Clemson. I asked you guys over the weekend, like, is it still fun to be a Clemson fan? And I think our answer was all yes, but are you guys doubling down on that. You said you asked, is it still fun to be a Clemson fan and
2: what do you have to look forward to or something like that? And I was like, yes. Yeah, are you excited? Yes. Or what are you excited? Next, about? What are you excited about? I'm like, yes. And next year. Yeah. If, if, if you think this is the sky is falling, game where it ends clemson's dominant run um then you probably spend most of your work day commenting on TigerNet message boards um
1: this is this is not the end of it there's uh, there's still a lot left and you in shouldn't the- do that by the way like embrace it enjoy it it's not yeah. the end of the run yeah exactly so like yes we were
2: pissed off and hurt like the next day i didn't wake up to noon um the next day um and finally, got myself to kind of turn on the uh, the Orange Bowl later in the evening, and just left it on mute until the fourth quarter. Um, finally, got back into it Sunday. Started watching some Clemson basketball. Got really excited about that. I remembered our baseball team's going to be good this year. And you know, there's more to life. Um, there's a, there's a lot of good things happening. There's a lot more good to come. Um, yeah. And if the worst thing that happened to you this year uh, was watching Clemson get beat by Ohio state in the sugar bowl, then you're pretty freaking lucky.
0: Agreed. I'll say that I'm uh, Clemson football. Being a fan is, is fun for me. I think it's because I follow recruiting and it, I think people that follow recruiting, it's, it's kind of a weird thing that you can't live in the moment. You have to just look forward to the future, but it's probably, it's a lot. It's the element of hope. I think it's what drives a lot of fan base is like, we will be better next year or we could possibly be better next year. And even though we've been great, and things have been amazing. We could actually be better next year. That defensive line is going to be sick. And we'll talk about next year during the off season, But Ben, you said it like recruiting's gotten much better than when Deshaun Watson was in Clemson. So I think that the future is still very bright. And I, I do like that DG, that DG, that DJ fella. I'm not going to say his last name. Can't say his first name. (laughs) No, it's two two
1: letters. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Well, guys, like you know, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. This what year was this, guys? Six. Year six. Year seven. Season.
2: We've we've been here for every single. We started in 2015, the first playoff run, and we've been here ever since. And um, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason why we're positive because uh, as soon as Clemson starts making playoff runs. That's it. We're done.
1: Yeah. We're I'm wrapping talking, up the show. I talk but about this anymore if we suck. Yeah. Thank you t- though for, you know, sticking with us for this, our sixth year, we're really looking forward to reflecting on this one. Um, you know, it, it, it feels a little similar to the post Deshaun run where it was little, the future was a little bit uncertain. Obviously that was coming off a title game victory. This is coming off a loss, but there's going to be a lot to unpack in the off season, a lot going on with the depth chart and what goes on with scholarship limits. And does Dabo, you know, dabble in the transfer portal at all. And uh, who decides to come back and like, you know, does Clemson take any other guys in the February signing deadline? Here's my analogy for that Tully.
2: Would a pastor turn down somebody transferring into their congregation? So Dabo can do it
0: too how about you have 75 real scholarships and you have 10 open that you're given to walk-ons?
2: Well, they're going to have to, I think as these things evolve and the rules change that you are going to see other things start to change as well. Um, yeah. Like how, classification of scholarships. Yeah. Right? We'll, we'll see how yeah.
1: it goes. So um, I think, I think Davo will come around to it. Um, he's a smart yeah, guy. And, and look like maybe it took an ass beating like this, you know, to, to really, uh, I don't know. Open his eyes to some of those things. We'll see, but look, maybe we've been a little dour on a lot of the position groups and the coaches a little bit in this show. Like uh, we celebrate them too. We we cherish this team, all their contributions this year. Ben, you talked about how hard it was. Um, and yeah, like keep doing what you're doing, but uh, you know, we're also here to, fill up minutes and talk about ways this team could potentially be better.
2: And that's why we'll follow up in the coming week uh, weeks with our Watson awards, celebrating the guys on this team for this year. And then also uh, take a little bit uh, closer look into
1: next year and all the things that we should be excited for. Yeah. Let's hope that there's a spring game guys. I really miss. Um, like uh, Chris Fowler was talking about it on the Heisman broadcast. Uh, do you guys remember Trevor Lawrence's first pass in the spring game? When he came in, I think yeah. Kelly Bryant hurt his hand in that game too. Um, and he just connected on a bomb, I think to T Higgins actually. And uh, that was A&M. <laughs> that, yeah, you're, I, I know that was, that was A&M, but see, he, he hit a long ball to somebody in the spring game that year too. And uh, I don't know, I'm ready to get back to that. Let's, let's do that. Let's fast forward to April. Yes. Well, we know what DJ is capable of already. So that's encouraging definitely all right well thanks for tuning in everyone again we'll be back in maybe a couple weeks with the watson awards uh we'll we'll get some interviews on uh i i canceled the dozer podcast i don't think anyone wants to hear from that guy right now (laughs) uh (laughs) let us know if you do i guess um he he said he's willing to come on if they lose if they lose bring him on if they lose, bring him on all right we'll we'll see what he what he's up for but uh, we'll get people other than Dozer. We gotta have Quack and Tiger back on, um, just to talk about all things personnel. Uh, a lot of eyes on recruiting, probably more than more than normal, coming out of this game. So um, he's the authority in terms of people we know and talk to, and uh, plenty of other folks to catch up with. So um, thanks again, you know, for sticking with us this season. Uh, tell a friend, leave us a review, you know, while while it's on top of mind for you, and um, check us out on social media. You know where to find us, but. Um, with that, you know, thanks every, again, everybody. Make sure you're tuning in and following along with this Clemson basketball team. Pretty much the best team of the last decade, you know, might even be in store for something more special than that. So um, that's something to just to continue the, you know, the, Cle- the Clemson fanness uh, moving forward into 2021 in uncharted territory here. So um, we'll, we'll be back at you with some more basketball talk eventually as well. And uh, let's wrap it there, But. My guess is always go Tigers. Why don't you like Ohio State, Cody?
0: Because, <laughs> well, among other things, but the way their fans acted last year, like it yeah. really rough. And, and then, oh,
1: right. And then God, we should have. Yeah.
0: Dabo. Uh, no, it's they, good not
2: to talk about that stuff after you lose.
0: They got Jordan Hancock, uh, a cornerback, to decommit. Yeah. Because they claim that Davos backwards and oh, yeah, racist. racist. He's aggressive, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I do wish we had addressed that and been like, look, no matter what, guys, we're not going to bitch about referees or ejections or whatever for a year like they did. We, we didn't do it on this show. Yeah. No. Well, you the mean score would have been a little closer. It would have had some merit. But it doesn't matter. They beat us yeah. because they're better and we played like shit.
0: Yeah.
1: And, like, that's that's the attitude they should have taken. Like, yeah, those plays – like, look, that fumble or incompletion, whatever, you know, differing minds can disagree on that. But Justin Fields threw a pick to end the game. Like, they, had the, they didn't have to let yeah. us score on four plays and then – like they had two possessions to win the game. They could have stopped us on D, or they could have scored on O, and they didn't either. So, yeah, fuck it. they lost whatever. Yeah. I'm over I'm over them. Anyway, like sure. only losers blame the refs.
2: Sure. Twenty thousand of them will be tuning in to listen to this, like LSU and South Carolina fans last year.
0: They they probably will probably get a nice spike. Yeah.
1: Ben, what what kind of outtake can we say right now? Can we manufacture one? Uh, It's hard to manufacture those, man. I got to be in the (laughs) moment.